Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today is the start of season 11, which is all about the Oscars. Each episode, I'll host a panel of film industry professionals to discuss the nominees in their category of expertise. There'll be 10 episodes total, and we'll release two a week between now and the 94th Academy Awards on March 27th. We're kicking it off this year with the nominees for sound, and I'm happy to welcome back some friends of the show. Steve Morrow, production sound mixer. Nice to see you. Thanks for uh, having me. Glad you're back. Also returning is Don Sylvester, sound editor. Welcome back. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Now, listeners, if you're curious about these guys and their film credits, look them up on the Internet Movie Database. Below the Line also has a page on IMDb, so you can start on a specific episode and simply click through to the film credits of our guests. The five films nominated for sound are Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this a warning. Gentlemen, let's jump right in on Belfast and the team, apologies if I mispronounce any names, sound mixer Denise Yard, re-recording mixer slash sound supervisor Simon Chase, sound supervisor James Mather, and re-recording mixer Niv Adiri. I like Belfast as a movie. I thought it was an interesting take on, you know, Bloody Sunday and what it all happened. For me, you know, when you watch Belfast, the, the interesting thing that they did with the mix is they had a lot of the 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 voices come out of different channels of, of sound different speakers you know from behind you to the right to the left of you um that's not typical you you know your typical dialogue comes out of the center channel which is you know right smack in front of you right under or, or behind the screen and to me that was you know successful in belfast some movies do it and it's it's very distracting um but belfast was able to pull it off and so it felt like you were in the middle of the action in the middle of the story and you could hear where people were coming from. And I thought it was an interesting choice because it's, you know, sometimes that's a dangerous thing to do because it it can be distracting. And depending on how the speakers are set up in the theater or in your home, how you view it, you know, that can be vastly different than the center channel sound. So I think they were able to pull it off in a way that, that puts you in the middle of the, the story. Yeah, Steve, you're absolutely correct that the dialogue important dialogue should come out of the center of the screen now when they don't put dialogue in the center of the screen to me it tells me that's not important dialogue that's stuff that is then used as sound effects now this may sound silly that i'm going to say the dialogue is sound effects but if you're in an atmosphere where there's a lot of talking it's used as a sort of a an effect of of a place and you're allowed to put that anywhere you want as long as you're not telling people to pay attention to it for example if there's somebody's talking in the middle of the screen and someone's talking behind you you're not supposed to pay attention to that person behind you that's supposed to be just there as as a background atmospheric thing and there's so many perspectivizing and atmospheric uh, approaches to the dialogue in this film that they used a lot of the dialogue as, as sound effects. And that's why I think that they're, they're given credit and, and not scorn for taking the dialogue off the center of the screen. I would say 99% of the time, the dialogue comes out of the center channel. 
um, that's, you know, that's where the voices are heard. And, um, and sometimes, you know, it can be distracting to all of a sudden hear a voice coming out of the back of the, the theater, um, you know, when you're used to hearing it, you know, on the screen. You know, I think Birdman did it years ago fairly well. There's been a few movies that have done it, done an interesting job of it. But yeah, in Belfast, I just felt like, you know, puts you in the center of the action, you know, gives you an understanding of where people are in the in the world. But it can sometimes have the opposite effect where it's very distracting. Um, and in this one, it, it, you know, it was kind of I was pleasantly surprised that it worked so well. When we start these conversations, I like to sort of go back and have a little roundtable about what is good sound? Why are we nominating these pictures for sound? And who cares about sound and who doesn't care about sound? If you look at these, all these nominees, you, you couldn't get a broader spectrum of movie genres. So Belfast in alphabetical order is, is up because in my opinion, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that say the Academy Awards can be not best sound, but most sound. Uh, it's almost like, you know, the louder, the better. And we've been fighting that for a long, long time. And so to see something like Belfast show up, which is, a, is a, an amazing balance, really, of sound and dialogue. I mean, there's, there's a real lack of score, too, uh, which allows more sound to be featured. So to ask yourself, well, why is Belfast considered best sound when it's not most sound? for me is because it kind of represents a particular directorial perspective that is presented through the sound. The storytelling is presented through the sound. And a lot of movies will augment the story or they'll just blow things up or they'll have really cool sounds, but you don't really have to have a wide palette of sounds in a lot of movies. Uh, because what you see is what you get. In this movie, it's basically a perspective of the kid, the, the kid Buddy, who is, I guess, Kenneth Branagh. It's his point of view of the world. So everything is very subjective. Uh, it's memories of sounds. It's, it's just a collage of information that's presented to you in a way that tells the story. I like that idea a lot. I like it better than, say, a war movie that it just has a bunch of bullets and things like that, which is cool. I like sound. <laughs> but when it helps tell the story, if it gives you a particular point of view and it's done through sound, I give it high marks. And I'm really pleased to see this movie on the list. Yeah, for, for me, it was a surprise, you know, early indicator that that this movie would be nominated. That, that got me the interest. You know, you, you look at all the different... Uh, you know, rankings online and what's what people predict will be the prediction, right? And so I, I watched Belfast pretty much early on, and I thought, okay, this is this is an interesting sound film, just because a lot of the story is told, you know, budgetary wise. Sometimes it's hard to recreate something that big, but with sound, I think on on Belfast, you're able to give it a bigger environment as opposed to just that one street that we see throughout the whole movie. I think what it does effectively is um, it gives you what all movies try to do sonically, and that is a, a personality of place. Like you eventually 
begin to identify the sounds of the area as natural sounds, as common sounds. And then it tries to interpose uncommon sounds like the like they would invasion of uh, of the violence that comes into the neighborhood. And I think they do that very well, and especially when they're perspectivizing it or subjectivizing it through the character of, of Kenneth Brand as a kid. So, I mean, you get you get the sense of where they live and what's happening that's unusual, and that's all done through sound. You know, there's a depth of voices in the very opening sequence. I mean, you you hear dialogue of people in the street. It's just a lively interchange of people in the street, and uh, you get a sense of who they are and where they are. Um, and then at the same time, you get this riot that comes and invades and it's very it's effective because it's it's treated in a way that we don't know everything it comes to us in different in different waves of information and it, we eventually learn what what's happening story-wise and that's what they do throughout the whole film they they take this the, the limited information that the kid gets and they teach us what's happening and for me that's the best use of the sound you can do you can actually select what you want people to hear when you want them to hear it and you're not painting the whole canvas with a big fat paintbrush. You're doing little paint by numbers here and there. And it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's compelling and intriguing. I think it brings you into the story. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. It's uh, there's a delicate balance there where you could overdo it, but uh, I don't, I don't think they did. I think they did a great job. Yeah. They did a great job too. And what's interesting is there is very little score in it. I mean, there's a lot of source, cues and things like that and um it's hard for me to pick out re-recorded dialogue like most of it sounds like it's production and you know to me that's that's a tribute to the way it's been re recorded and shot and the care they've taken into actually getting the performances you know first time around without having to go back and fix a lot of the sounds so yeah I, high marks for me now, gentlemen, we had hoped not to be talking about it again this year, but COVID has affected or influenced a lot of people in the fact of not seeing these in the theater. Now, again, you guys have sound setups that you're going to catch it, but for the general viewing audience, do you think some of these subtleties we're talking about from a sound perspective are going to be lost by watching it at home versus in the theater? I think you lose a lot when you don't see it in the theater, any movie, really, because the movie's made for the theater experience so sure something will be lost but you know it's also important to be safe and careful so everybody has their own their own gauge of that so i think yeah i mean if if the ultimate choice is uh safety versus seeing it in a theater maybe you pick safety but uh i think once it becomes clear that that covet is is down and it's it's easier to see movies in theaters i think that's the best experience you can have seeing any of these and hearing any of these films. I saw Belfast in the theater and what you see in, and hear in the theater. And I also saw it at home as a second time. You know, I, you can't say enough about the audience in a, in a movie theater because you don't get that at home unless you've got a very noisy bunch of people with you. <laughs> I, I think that the reaction to of the, of the audience in the theater was, was as interesting as some scenes in the movie and um, you know, how they really embraced this movie and how they were pulling for the main characters was palpable, I could tell. And I like that a lot in movie theaters. I, I've seen a couple of these nominees in theaters. 
but I haven't seen all of them. And, you know, I've, I've said this a thousand times, and I'm probably going to have, have this on my tombstone, is that you don't know what you're hearing at home. You don't know what people have as their, they have a sound bar from, you know, or do they have a, a big theater set up or do they just have a Sylvania TV is my favorite reference. And they've written to me and told me to stop, but I don't care. <laughs> you just don't know what you're getting. And when people spend hours and weeks and days and long nights mixing these, these movies and theaters, that's the ideal situation. And you, you don't get it at home. And a lot of times when it goes through somebody's TV, maybe their TV has an algorithm that, that translates it into their TV and it's completely different. So, I mean, we don't know, you know, God bless us all. I hope this COVID goes away soon, but I don't think you can really tell what the filmmakers intended at home. I mean, you get a passing grade, but I don't think you can really tell. The next film on our list is Dune. Sound mixer, Mac Ruth, Supervising sound editor Mark Mangini, sound designer slash supervising sound editor Theo Green, re-recording mixer Doug Hemphill, and re-recording mixer Ron Bartlett. Dune. That's a movie where if you're watching it at home, you're probably going to lose half the sound. I mean, it has a very low-end quality to that film. Although I do have to say, my caveat for this whole conversation is I've seen all of these movies at my house. We don't leave unless I'm working, and if I'm working, then I, I don't put the production at risk by going out and doing anything. Uh, anyway, that's been our kind of go-to for the last couple of years, but, um, uh, but Dune was, a, uh, was a, an experience visually and, uh, and sound-wise. I thought it was, that it was such, an, it, that's such a difficult movie to make uh make sense, you know, in that, in that terms. I mean, the, the, the original Dune was kind of a a mess all over the place. And this was a great uh, reimagining of it, of a movie that would be incredibly hard to make. Um, so I give kudos to, to Mark or Mac Ruth who, um, you know, recorded it on set. I'm sure that was not easy with everything blowing and sand and wind and effects. Um, but yeah, I mean, it put you in, it, it made you feel, at least when I was watching it, I felt like, yep, I'm on Arrakis and <laughs> it is not a comfortable place to be. But yeah, I mean, and they, they pulled off a lot of tricks that I thought were pretty, pretty great, pretty interesting. Here's a movie that is made to win awards. And um, I won't be surprised if Mark Mancini has a lot of videos of him on the set recording things or going on in his backyard and re-recording things. Or, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of care taken into presenting this film as a, a sonic masterpiece. Now, not to say it's not a sonic masterpiece. However, it's the kind of movie that if it doesn't get nominated for a sound, they, they really haven't done their homework. I mean, it's a science fiction. It's got military vehicles. It's got incredible visual effects. Uh, it's got an amazing score. If these things don't all conspire together to make your sounds that you put in there excellent, um, you know, you're in the wrong business. So it's really excellent work all around. However, I, I sometimes wonder if the overpowering score I'm hearing is, is score or is it, is it sound effects? And I do think that they do that. They do, they do sort of pass the hat back and forth. I don't know sometimes if it's sound effects. If it is music, then, you know, they're doing a good job with the sound effects if it's music. 
And if it's if it's all sound effects, you know, they should make an album because it sounds like music. <laughs> so all of this stuff conspires. I think it's all very good stuff. But it's kind of like a it's kind of like the first one on the list. Everybody goes, well, it's got to be we got to put Dune on the list because it's got so many things going for it. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a technical award magnet. Yeah. And it's and it's, you know, deserved. But yeah, it's a giant. Uh, I mean, it's a that's a big movie. It's a big movie. Yeah. And they planned it well and they executed it well and they had a budget, you know. I mean, one of the, a couple of these movies we're going to talk about later, that they don't have a budget. So, again, I asked the question about why are we here? What is what is good sound? Is good sound, you know, a big budget, with a lot of talented people and unlimited resources and all the time in the world? Or is it the storytelling aspect of a, of a movie that manifests itself in a way that is intrinsic to the value of the movie itself and contributes on a level that you you may not even know but it's there i mean there's so many different gradients of what good sound is and dune is is good at it i mean they've got the advantage of creating sounds that never existed before and and with that you know that's a real heavy duty kind of sound effort like this is a machine you've never seen before and it doesn't it sound like a, a cool machine yes it does it does but we don't we don't know what the machine really i mean it's made up so it's it's in somebody's computer so to make it sound real is a real accomplishment but that's like you could have made it sound different and it would have been good you could have done six different ways and the fifth one the director likes but the other five were like just as good they're all different so i guess what i'm saying is although i like this movie and i think i I love the movie and i think the sound is excellent i just think it's a no-brainer on this one and, and sometimes I'm not inspired by that. Although if this one is selected as the winner, it certainly will deserve it. Absolutely, yeah. You guys talked to me a little bit more about how, in general terms, the score can interact with or override or support. Uh, Don, you suggested that as well. Um, what's done in the sound mix? Yeah, I was going to say, I think Don has probably the most hands-on experience with this there's that delicate balance between the film sound and the the score and sometimes it can you know they can just you can have a composer that just overdoes it and just lumps it on and then it destroys all your work well when you've got composers scoring events like sound effects which used to be a real issue um like the explosion would have a big you know crescendo in the music and there'd also be explosions and the mixer would turn around and go like, you want to hear the bomb or do you want to hear the music? And they go like, we'll play both. (laughs) But you end up featuring one over the other and nine times out of 10, it's the music because that's the emotional uh, cue. So scoring uh, this movie, like Dune, I found that there was a lot of drones going on and drones and low end and sort of like, you know, continuous Tones are something that we try to reserve in the sound effects department. But if the music is, is similarly composed, then you cross the line. You don't even know what you're listening to or, or where it came from. I mean, and that doesn't matter to the viewer because it's cohesive. But when we're trying to break it down and say who's good at this and who's good at that, it's hard for me to tell that, that I, literally, I mean, hard for me to tell sometimes if that's score or if that's a background drone happening, which is a cool sound, or is it made by some guy with an oboe 
Um, especially know, in Dune. I mean, that's, that's especially a, in Dune. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that line gets crossed probably left and right. Yeah, I've been on many films where we try to coordinate with this with the composer and limited success. I mean, the composer will want to. I mean, it's like a hat on a hat, like you're doing a big scene where there's a lot of sound effects and the composer is, is motivated but to write a lot of music. And it's like, well, you got to play one feature, one over the other. And um, most of the time, the music wins just because of the nature of the movie going experience. The third film on our list is No Time to Die. Production sound mixer, Simon Hayes, supervising sound editor, Oliver Tarney, co-supervising sound editor James Harrison, re-recording mixer Paul Massey, and re-recording mixer slash sound effects editor Mark Taylor. No time to die. Little James Bond for this year's Oscars. Uh, I would say, you know, Simon Hayes being the production mixer, you know, he's been one of those guys that, you know, if it's a movie that he did, the dialogue and the sound from the set are going to be impeccable. I mean, his work is, is always... Uh, fantastic but he puts a lot of care towards that not taking anything away from that he's he's you know incredible at his job and then you have 007 which is you know big action guns car chase you know that's the you know the big sound (laughs) movie you know where it's the action film that's just wall-to-wall sound so uh, it sounded amazing uh it helps tell the story but um does it stand out from other 007s? Maybe because it's the last one for Daniel Craig. I, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. Sounded great. Um, but it goes back to Don's earlier statement that sometimes it's just, you know, obviously you have to have a sound there and you have to have it match what the image is showing. But I don't know that, um, you know, it's one of those things. Is this another character in the in the film to help push the story artistically or is it just sounds for sounds? Some of these guys um, on this crew have made Bond films before. I mean, this may be like their third Bond film. So there are no slouches when it comes to this. I mean, you know, a Bond film has guns and vehicles and fist fights and daring do, um, close calls. Um, Everything is is a sonic event. And it has to be because, you know, it's it's an action movie. The nice thing is um, you get to record an Aston Martin this time around, you know, you get to record a DB5 or whatever they are. They got to record other vehicles, you know, it's nice to have a budget and get your, you know, bespoke sounds. All that's really good. And it's in general, it's, it's excellent. It's excellent sound. Again, I ask myself, well, what do we expect? We expect this to be excellent. I mean, it is excellent. And we expect it to be excellent. Yeah, it's a Bond film. I mean, it's going to yeah. sound amazing. Yeah, it's got to sound amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of, not, not taking anything away from Bond film here, or this one in particular, but there's a lot of great action movies that have great sounds. I thought The Matrix sounded great. It didn't come. Yeah, The Matrix was, was really great. It yeah. didn't get nominated. You know, there's a, there's a lot of of great action sound movies out there that just people just dismiss. And I'm sorry to say it's it's more common than not to have excellent sound and really, you know, passable movies just get overlooked. The reason this one's not being overlooked is I guess Daniel Craig, you know, as you say, 
let's watch this movie because it's we can cry in our beer and this is the last Daniel Craig movie. So it gets it gets it probably gets more attention than most. Did I think this was uh, Oscar worthy? Yeah, I do. I think it's Oscar worthy. I do in the, in the sense that it is what we expect it to be, and it's 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 well done. These are very highly skilled craftsmen, and I think that what they've done here, they are very proud of, and I don't blame them. Yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't trying to take anything away from it. I mean, the the movie sounds incredible, it but it, it comes down to you know that's you know is there a difference between bond and the matrix and sounding incredible no if either one of them didn't sound good it's a failure you know the movie doesn't work but exactly no that was my yeah my feeling about dune was the same thing if it didn't sound great uh you shouldn't be in the business so um the bond film again is it outstanding enough to be selected as the most impressive sound display this year and um then for me, then it goes beyond, well, it was excellent sound. It was really good for the movie, but was it unique? What did it have? Did it have any kind of special thing about it that makes it like you want to talk about it in your, in your sound class at whatever high school you go to? And so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a director once tell me on set, which was, you know, uh, Jason Reitman told, you know, we had this conversation about sound and best sound. And, you know, he, he his perspective on it was, is sound another character in the movie that helps propel the story? Obviously, if there's no sound in the movie, it, you know, the story doesn't go very far. But particularly, you know, is sound another character that helps tell that story versus just there's sound that matches the images in the frame? So, you know, and, and, and that could be both, you know, but it's um, that's something that I always look at when I when I watch a movie, you know, you because you look at the matrix kind of a movie and you go, yeah, it sounds incredible. There's new sounds in there, but without them, it's, you know, it's not another, you know, you look at Belfast and the backgrounds and all that sound, that's a character in the movie that's putting you in that place. And Dune is the same thing. It's, it's, it's this dark groans. It's this new world that you're in. And so that's putting you in this place and not to take away from bond, but the bond sounds are these amazing, great sounding. It's a great sounding movie and the dialogue is crisp and everything is clean, but it's at the end of the day, I don't know that I think of Bond as a sonically another character in the movie. Right. Right. But it's an amazing sounding movie. So it's, it's like, it's a tough, that's like that tightrope of saying, yeah, it's not, nobody did a, a poor job. I mean, it's an incredible job, but at the end of the day, I don't know that it's another character in the film that propels the story. And do you want to have like sounding films always win. Uh, I mean, again, do you go for the more sounds versus the, the best sounds? Right. I mean, that, that's, I, I think there's a lot of reason why there's not a lot of Marvel movies that get nominated for best sound. It's not that they don't sound good. They just may not be a character in that film that propels the, the story forward. I mean, of course they sound great. They have to. Yeah. Well, sometimes when you actually trick out all the sound effects in a very active movie, you get sonic fatigue after a while because not everything is a hundred percent. And in some of these movies, everything is goes from zero to 60 or hundred percent, like instantly. I think recently people have realized that you have to have a little downtime in these things, but then the third act is, you know, it's 25 minutes of, of, of nonstop sound explosions and whooshes and incredible things. And, and, and then you get sound fatigue. So again, I have to sort of say, 
they're all excellent movies, but why are we pointing to this one in particular? Why is it worthy of the whole industry saying it's the best this year? Why? And there's got to be something different to it. I mean, maybe it's the jalapeno on the burger. I don't know, but it's got to be something, something different. Well, I'm very interested to hear what you both have to say about the fourth film on our list, The Power of the Dog. Production sound mixer Richard Flynn, supervising sound editor Robert McKenzie, and sound effects editor slash re-recording mixer Tara Webb. The Power of the Dog. Hard movie to make. I always say it every year, Western. Hard movies to make. You know, so hats off to the production team on that one. It's just, that's, it's not easy. You know, this is a movie that has, I would say, a fraction of the sound budget that No Time to Die or Dune have. I'm just guessing. They only have three people nominated here. Um, so that does say small crew, small budget. And here's one where you have to ask yourself, what are we going for here? Why are we? Why do we need, even need sound? I mean, the reason this is probably been um, selected is that people bought into the place of it all and they felt like they had gone to a place they 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 had traveled to a place in the film that they had never been to before and they experienced it part of which was due to the sound so that that's that's really good on one level it's also very hard to, to pinpoint an event that says here's good sound because it's very low key, very subtle. And it's almost laconic, the film sometimes. They've got an old period car, they've got horses and, you know, the whole thing is a Western of very limited scale. So while I enjoy the film and I thought they did a great job, I'm having a hard time comparing it to say any of these movies on the list because of its its limited presence. And it's it's designed that way, so let's not, pretend that they're failing they're not they're just they're just the perspective of the sound uh, is to be subtle and supportive and it's effective that way and that's it is it's actually very good that it's among this group here because we need more movies that have less sound because of the fact that the sound itself needs to be more uh, selective in some movies and and less wall-to-wall sort of events so if you can tell the story and infuse your sound in it in a way that's subtle i think you should get noticed as well even if you don't have a, a big spaceship or a aston martin or something well it's kind, of, it's kind of a nice movie just like belfast where i think you know the general academy and maybe general population think of sound as the loudest movie you know and i think that these are the movies that kind of will hopefully make people recognize it it's not just about the the loudness and the the wall-to-wall sound it's more about the subtleties and what is sound is providing you as the viewer uh, the experience and so yeah it, it may is it the you know one of the five best sounding movies of the year uh, according to the academy it is but you know there might be other movies you could slot in there that nobody would be sad about but i do think it's a it's a great sounding film i mean the, the dialogue sounds nice the atmosphere it puts you into into that into that world and it's subtle 
<laughs> like Don said, it's, you know, the budget is probably the, the catering budget for Dune, you know, post-production is their whole budget, but what they were able to do with it is amazing. So, you know, the sound, it's, it's a good sounding movie that's not wall to wall sound. So hopefully it makes people really think about what, you know, what qualifies as better sound. It's not more sound. It's what's, what tells the story better. Right. I agree. And I think it, I think it, I think it does a really good job. The only problem I'm having is comparing it with other films in this list because you can't compare. That's the, this is the difficult thing about sound being so subjective and, and using it for different purposes. I mean, you can use it to fix problems in many ways, or you can use it to support the storytelling, or you can use it just to get out of the way, uh, and it's still effective that way. I mean, a lot of people take sound out for... A dramatic moment and so it's hard for this film for me to be compared with other films in this list every once in a while we come across one of these that i think it was last year the animated movie right was that yeah exactly year? exactly i was going to say that i mean like how do you compare this movie i mean there's so many movies that are largely production and this is maybe i'm wrong maybe there's a whole lot of sound effects there that sound like production but it, i do think that the production played a really big role in this in this film and i think that that's 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 an art that people don't recognize as sound i think it's just normal i mean like you know i told my mother what i do we had all the sound in the movie and she said to me well wasn't there a microphone on the set <laughs> why do you have to add all the sound and it's funny because i get the opposite reaction from my family yeah i record the actors on set yeah, but don't they just stand in front of a screen and re-say their lines? <laughs> <laughs> and then I say, well, no, not, a, not unless I messed it up or something happened. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to what you said earlier, Steve, about the sound being a character in the film, it seems on a smaller, more subtle film like this, this is the opportunity to make sound a character. In other words, that the boots are different or that something about the, those sort of extra sounds are a chance to add to the character and whether you think this film had that opportunity and did it or didn't do it i'm curious if uh you noticed on that yeah i mean i think if i told you okay uh, you know if i'm gonna hire you to do sound on a western you know g give me some library sounds of a western what do you what are you gonna give me you know some the boots the spurs the horses you know there's certain things that you just naturally put in there that is expected and so the choice of having or not having those is an obvious choice you know it's like you can choose pick or choose to have them or not have them but but i think yeah i think that, that that's one of those hard this it's a hard movie to say that they made that choice out of propelling the story or not or less it's just you know because it is such a sparsely soundscaped film my gut tells me it's their choice, you know, but yeah, I mean, Don would have more of an insight into, oh, maybe because, you know, because maybe it just gets too overwhelming and all of a sudden it becomes a show about boots and feet. Back to sound being a character. I think sound is character, meaning that maybe there is a character in the sound, but I think that we only add sound when it fits the character. For example, the boots, the way a guy walks, the sound of his boots, is entirely character driven. It's it's a it has to match his persona, his personality. Let's say there's an issue here where you don't think he comes in forcefully enough. Where you can fix that 
in the boots that you re-record and give them a little forceful um, attack. And the character now is more forceful. Well, that'll take us to the fifth and final film on our list, West Side Story, sound mixer Todd Maitland, re-recording mixer slash sound designer slash supervising sound editor Gary Rydstrom, supervising sound editor Brian Chumney, re-recording mixer Andy Nelson, and scoring mixer Sean Murphy. West Side Story. We got the musical film for this category. Lots of singing, lots of dancing. You know, I imagine... uh, you know, 1950s New York sounds very different than 2020 New York or 2019 New York. A lot of magic in that. Uh, I thought I thought the mix between the vocals and the the singing was fairly seamless. I mean, it you know sometimes you get this huge difference when it goes from production dialogue to playback. You know, certainly with musicals, uh, that's easy to do. I've done plenty of musicals where it's, you know, we're next to a freeway having a conversation and then they break out in the song and it goes completely silent, you know, because that's just nature of, of making the movie. So it's, it's an incredibly difficult tightrope to walk post-production wise to, you know, make sure that that singing matches, you know, what it should sound like in that environment. So I think, I think they did a great job in driving that forward and, and, you know, making a good, music making the musical sound like it was you know maybe live recorded maybe not question mark you know in a lot of ways this west side story reminds me of the approach that belfast took in the sense that at any one time there could be a dozen people mic'd up and talking and i know todd maitland um he had to wire everybody and uh that's that's a tough job you know people don't think about it but when you've got 20 people with mics in the in, in scene, that's a tough job. That's where the comparison ends with Belfast. Uh, because even though they record everything, they don't, all this, all the music is pre-recorded and all the singing is pre-recorded. So, you know, again, as Steve said, one minute they're talking in the middle of New York. Next thing you know, they're singing and dancing on the soundstage in, in Brooklyn. And it's, you know, it's a little different sounding. So, then they have to go and put back the sound that they take out. And so there's a whole lot of Foley in this movie. It's like, I hear people's feet everywhere. I mean, I've been, I've been attacked by 11 year old boys saying like, why do we always have to hear the feet? And I don't have an answer for that, especially when they're too loud. I don't like, and I'm not, you know, what else are you going to do with people singing and dancing? You're going to put their feet in. I mean, you have to do that. But if you're really in the scene where people are singing and dancing and you're not re-recording the soundtrack, you're not going to hear their feet. So it's a, it's like a, it's hard. You just have to put in sound that you wouldn't normally hear. And that's the problem they have is that a lot of this stuff takes place in the middle of the night. The backgrounds are really quiet. They're dancing in the middle of the street. You just hear their feet and that's it. And the singing and dancing, of course. So it's, it's hard. It's almost like an animated feature in the sense that it's hard. They take out so much sound and they put back so little sound because it's music. And also it's a stage play. So at what point, I mean, nobody dances in real life. Like, I mean, this is not true. The sharks didn't have that great choreography in real life. They didn't. So 
when are you, when you going to break the law and say, well, don't pay any attention to this. It's not real. We're just making a, a, a stage play. At what point did the sound come in and say like, well, this makes it real. And they go, well, we don't need sound now because we're basically on, you know, we're on a stage in New York somewhere. This is just a stage play and it's a musical. So adding too much sound is like, you don't, you're going, you're fighting the fact that this is a theatrical production. So why would you consider it great sound? You would probably consider it great sound because you like the music and you like the scoring of it. And, and this is where the combination of music and sound get in the way of each other because now people are saying it's great sound, but they're probably really saying it's great music. No offense, Gary. I'm not saying it's not good sound. I'm just saying that I worked on a movie, Walk the Line, where they said it was great sound, but they really were saying that they liked the music. And I understand the difference. And in this case, I think it's I think it's music driven. And that's why it's getting a lot of notice. Yeah, I think I think the mix does, you know, help not throw you out of the movie every time they're singing and dancing, going from dialogue to, to singing and dancing. Like, you know, sonically it could go completely dead and sound like they're just hitting play on a, you know, on a CD. But um, so that helps. But yeah, at the end of the day, is it the do you love the music and the dancing as part of the sound, or is it the backgrounds and the toast scrapes and you know those all all those things that add to it you know to making it so that it's not this you know uh, sound desert once music starts going but is it necessary you know i mean is in like like don was saying in real life are people getting out in the middle of the street dancing and singing and in real life probably not so why do we try to make it sound real you know that's the question but yeah i mean it's not real so yeah. why are we making it sound real? Well, we're just trying to make it sound cohesive and we don't want to distract from anybody by having people break into song. It's, I do think that they, they put in a lot of sound backgrounds, uh, music, just sound effects backgrounds, knowing that they're going to have to break away into pre-recorded musical numbers and they'd have something left to play behind it. So that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't fall off a cliff. And some of that was for somebody like me who is in sound, that's, that was obvious. I could hear it. But I think just for the casual viewer, I don't think they would, I think that's the only way you can do it is you have to have some sound that carries into the, into the singing and dancing. Yeah. And it's always a choice, you know, it's always a director's choice, you know, what they want it to, you know, what they want to hear. And it's a lot of the time it's, you know, we're, we're, I'm going into a musical in a couple of weeks that we're going to start filming. And there's a ton of conversations, you know, do you want them to sing live? Do you want it to be straight playback? And what are the differences, you know, and for the most part, you know, at least on my side of the scale, I always like to try to do it as live as you can, because the performances are better in the space that they're acting in versus the studio that was pre-recorded two months earlier. But sometimes you're, you know, doing a movie that takes place in 1900 and the camera's on the side of a freeway looking the other direction. And so the audience isn't going to know that that was the challenge. And so do you, you know, try to get it live there and have it make no sense sound-wise? Or do you do playback and it makes total sense because, you know, it sounds good like it should. So, you know, I would imagine that there's a few live numbers in West Side Story you know, just some of the intimate stuff or at least bits and pieces of it uh, to make it feel more real. And that's, you know, on set, Todd did a great job. I mean, he's, you know, he's a good, good mixer, good, you know, he he does great work and yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work, those movies. 
Have you guys seen Cyrano? Here's another musical, um, which I think they sang on set. I'm not sure. Is, can anyone confirm that? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It just seemed it just seemed to be more organic. Their singing it seemed to be attached to their bodies better. Yeah, I've done a few. Like La La Land for me was Anna Stone's performance in La La Land was always live. But like her roommate song, a lot of the roommates that was all pre-records. And then anytime Emma Stone comes in, we duck the music. We recorded her vocal and then the music would come back up for the, the other roommates. So it's like, it's a weird mix of both live and playback in the same scenes, which, you know, like we, we talked about, it makes the post mix a little bit more challenging, obviously, because, you know, we're basically hitting the mute button, <laughs> you know, once music comes in, that just gets deleted and has to be, you know, patched up later. So um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's an example like that movie is an example of, you know, you do some things live and you do some things, you know, pre-record like uh, Ryan Gosling on the end of the pier. You know, that's all just him uh, lip syncing. You know, that's just a pre-record played back, you know, whereas Emma Stone's, you know, big song about uh, her audition, you know, her big audition song. That's all live because those are the moments where I think you, you know, you take a chance and hope the actor's voice, you know, holds up. Um, but you'll get a better performance out of it, mm. you know, versus something that was pre-recorded months earlier when you're not, maybe not fully in character yet. It's a tightrope because there's the technical aspect of it going, well, if they come in with a sore throat, does that ruin your day? You know, and, and the answer is no, you pre-record it, you get the pre-record. Obviously the studio wants to hear the music before they approve the, the budget anyway. So you get the, you get the pre-record as your backup. And on the day, if they can sing and it sounds better than what the pre-record is, that's what you record. So anyway, West Side Story, they probably <laughs> did a little bit that, you know, a little bit of that throughout some of the bigger numbers. Definitely. No, you know, you, you don't, you don't spend the time doing a 20 people dancing and singing in the middle of the street. It, it would just be hard to sing and dance, but yeah, some of the other intimate numbers, you probably go for some, some live singing if the actors are up for it. Yeah. There's some physical actions going on in those dances. I would imagine they would be a little bit out of breath. <laughs> yeah. Are there other films that came out last year that were notable from a sound perspective that didn't make this list for either of you? Well, I mentioned The Matrix, which I thought was clever in the sense that it took, it gave us a reference to the original Matrix, Matrixes and then built on it. And uh, I think anybody who actually follows The Matrix would have noticed that. And it's, it was, I thought it was, again, it had to be it had to be excellent sound because it was so action driven and I think they did a good job and that was completely overlooked. Spider Man was completely overlooked. I thought that was a good sounding film. I did uh, Ghostbusters. Not that you know that to me that was a great sounding movie. They took great care in you know using the original some of the original sound effects from the eighties, remastered them and made it so that you know because it's easy just to recreate it, but it's you know you're you're paying tribute to the original and. So I, I think, there, yeah, there's plenty of movies. I think every year there's plenty of movies that get overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. But it's because the categories, you know, you're picking five movies. Although this year they did a weird thing. Uh, the Academy, Don will know this also, that we had to vote on a short list of movies in early December. So pick your top 10 movies that will be, you know, of those 10 movies, five of them will get nominated. And it's the first year that I remember them doing that. And they did it at the beginning of December. And there was a handful of movies we couldn't see yet. 
Yeah. Spider-Man was one of them. It was nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't see it until, you know, a few weeks ago. And it's like, you know, that short changes uh, some movies and, and the studios are going to have to adjust to, to release them early to the Academy or else they get overlooked just because there's no, no way to see or hear it. And I feel like West Side Story was one of those movies that wasn't available to see, but we just assume it's going to sound good. So we're going to vote it in the short list and then hopefully see it before we voted on the, the permanent nomination list. It's a bit of a weird year because it's the first time that they've done it. But um, and I think they'll adjust or the studios will have to adjust to it. But yeah, I mean, you're, I remember thinking, well, I couldn't see the Matrix. I couldn't hear that. You know, I'll assume it's going to sound good. I'll put it on the short list. But that's not really fair to movies I have seen that I thought sounded good because what if the matrix was a total, uh, you know, what if it was a train wreck? It wasn't, but what if it was? And then I picked it because I just couldn't have heard it earlier. So yeah, I think every year there's plenty of movies get overlooked. I mean, there's incredible sound work across the board in our business. And I think um, it's not that they're overlooked so much as there's just not room. Right. I mean, there's probably 30 amazing sounding movies that all deserve a place, but there's only five spots. Yeah, I still think we're victims of the pandemic because of the release schedule and the fear of the theater or fear of getting a streamer bootlegged or whatever fears we have. They don't send out physical DVDs much anymore, if at all. Um, so you, you either have to wait at home and watch it at home or go into a theater and run the risk of you know catching a disease or something. Um, so, yeah, I think that so the schedule has been screwed up in a way that uh, they're holding back certain films for release purposes and it has hurt them in the run towards uh, the, um, the awards season. But then again, you know, there's going to be a lot that are going to be overlooked. I mean, it's, this category to me is like best food. And, you know, everybody has an opinion about their favorite food and it's not always the same. Right. It can't always be never ending breadsticks you know pizza yeah pepperoni <laughs> well gentlemen always appreciate you guys coming in and giving us this uh, additional insights into these films once again thanks so much thanks for having us and uh, well, we'll see you at the oscars yeah good luck everybody listeners that's a wrap if you'd like to learn more about the podcast please visit our website below the line one word dot biz that's b-i-z it's easy to peruse past episodes, and you'll find links to all of our social media. That includes our page on IMDb, where, as I mentioned earlier, you can learn more about my guests. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of you for sticking with us. Please raise wherever you get your podcasts, and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line.